0: From the Exploratorium in San Francisco, this is Smalltalk.
1: We're taking a survey today at the Exploratorium. Could you tell me, are there any products that you use now that were made
2: using nanotechnology? I don't think so. I think it's still pretty cutting edge. Today?
3: Today? Think of anything? They're not advertising it. If uh, if they are,
1: is there anything you're concerned about nanotechnology
4: being in consumer products? No, no. I think smaller's better. <laughs> now, it couldn't be any worse than what we're dealing with today.
1: This is the March edition of Small Talk. We often think of nanotechnology as something that's not going to happen until some far-off science future. But this month, we'll be talking about the science present, nanotechnology products that even you could go out and buy right now. Should these products have some sort of special label? Journalist Philip Ball will tell us what he thinks about that controversy. This month, there's no nano news quiz. Instead, we're going to go out shopping. Hi, I'm Stephanie Chasteen, and I'm a physicist at the Exploratorium, the Museum of Science, Art, and Human Perception. And I'm Karen Schmidt. I'm a science journalist. Each month, we get together to have little conversations about little things. We find interesting people to chat with who are working in nanotechnology. That's the science and engineering of things like nanoparticles, which are tiny bits of material, like metals, less than 100 nanometers across. Nanoparticles behave differently from larger chunks of the same material. For example, when gold gets that tiny, it can be purple or red instead of yellowish. Our shows are on the web at www.nisenet.org/podcasts. That's n i slash n e t.org/podcasts. And please call our comment line at 1-888-781-3202. Come join us for some small talk. Did you know that nanotechnology is being used to create hundreds of consumer products? Everything from tennis rackets to clothing to skin cream? Actually, this was news to most people, even the federal government, back in March of 2006. That's when the Project for Emerging Nanotechnologies at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars published a list of all of the nanoproducts that they had found on the Internet, more than 200 of them. The Wilson Center is a policy think tank in Washington, D.C. We contacted Julia Moore, the project's deputy director, and Evan Michelson, a research associate there. Julia and Evan happened to be visiting San Francisco, so we got to hang out with them one day. Julia and Evan helped to put together the consumer product inventory, so they're experts at spotting nanotechnology products that are out on the store shelves. So Karen and I asked them to take us shopping. First stop, a clothing store.
4: Oh, I think we're right here. Oh, it's over there. It's in the middle of the street.
1: One of the things we were looking for are what are often called, affectionately, nanopants. Made by a company called Nanotex, these fabrics can be made stain and wrinkle-resistant by adding tiny Mm -hmm. nano-sized whiskers to the cotton.
2: Do you have any nanopants, Julia?
4: Yes, I do. I have a nano shirt. Uh... Are they pretty good for traveling, then, because they don't... Wrinkle? Yes,
2: but most important, it's the stain-resistant quality that yeah. I find uh, better. In fact, Andrew and I were invited to talk at the Royal...
1: Evan Society. found the nano pants over in the menswear section.
3: Here we go. So we found a series of pants that have the stress-free label, and say, "Liquid, liquids beat up and roll off, stains don't take hold, wrinkles disappear, and it says here, "Nano care." which is uh, based on uh, Nanotech's technology. And there are multiple pants that have this label on them.
2: And if we had a cup of coffee, what I've done with these uh, pants is uh, pour the coffee right on the pants, and the coffee literally just slides off.
3: And if you feel them, you can feel they feel just exactly like cotton. They don't feel any different.
2: You don't have that coating-like feel that you got yeah, in the earlier yeah. generation of stain and wrinkle-resistant clothing.
3: Yeah. You can say they come in many different colors, white, beige, darker blue, black, and they range in price, looks like uh, 24 dollars
2: mm-hmm. So okay. for 24 or twenty-four ninety-nine, you can be on the cutting edge of technology.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we also went into a high-end gadget store and found a bunch of products using nano-sized silver there. Then we found a sporting goods store near the cable car turnaround.
3: Okay. So here we have a uh, Wilson ENCODE racket, and right in the back it says, ENCODE, an exclusive Wilson nanotechnology process, introduces a new class of rackets created at the molecular level. And ENCODE rackets measure two times stronger, two times more stable, and up to 22% more powerful than ordinary rackets. So there's a whole shelf full of them right here.
4: I'm going to feel this. Yeah, it's pretty light. They come
3: in different sizes and shapes and colors and you can get uh, rackets for different kinds of players and for different age groups and for uh, men or women.
4: Well, guess how much this one costs. It's
3: $119.99. This one here is actually 229.99. Oh. So. <laughs> For two hundred and twenty-nine ninety-nine you can be at the leading edge of technology if you really have <laughs> the, the money. <laughs>
1: we talked to Julia and Evan about all kinds of nanotechnology products in more detail at their hotel.
4: So you guys decided to go and look in the marketplace and see what products are out there that use nanotechnology. And I see you brought some of them with you. We have some kind of Tupperware container, some sunblock. And also this Apex Optical Lens Cleaner and some cream and a golf ball. So could you tell me how you put together the list and how you tracked down all these items? Where did you find them? Well,
2: maybe I should tell you first why we did it. We knew that there were a lot of nanotechnology products, not only consumer products, but the application of nanotechnology in the manufacturing sector that were here and now. And what we discovered by doing a search mostly in English language, mostly on the Internet, was that we were able to find over 200, soon to be 300, self-identified nanoproducts on the market that any consumer with a, a grocery store or drugstore down the street or who had access to the Internet could buy. And by doing this, we found that the policy conversation that we were having with government and with uh, companies became not a future conversation, but a conversation about what was happening today. So, so why do you think the public
4: should be interested in this list?
2: I think that the public should be interested in nanotechnology because it's going to transform virtually everything that we do. The way we receive health care, it's going to transform the way our automobiles are made, the way we uh, produce energy. And it's going to be, some people have said, like another industrial revolution. And if that's the case, the public ought to be looking at nanotechnology today, even though some of those really transformative applications aren't going to happen for another 20
3: or 30 years.
4: Now, did you get a hold of most of these products? Did you order them and take a look at them?
3: We actually did. We actually bought a lot of these products, both from stores and over the internet. Um, And uh, it's interesting because a lot of these products tend to be slightly more expensive than their non-nano counterparts. We tended to find a say, 10 or 15% uh, price premium uh, on nanotechnology products.
4: Were there any products on the list that you were already
2: using? Well, I found out that uh, my shampoo uh, was a nanotechnology shampoo. Wow. And more importantly, I also found out that uh, my glass cleaner, uh, which uh, comes under a, a Zeiss label, was in fact produced by a company called Nanofilm. And every morning, uh, I got up and cleaned my eyeglasses with this uh, lens cleaner.
3: There are also a lot of products that fall under electronics and computers, which people don't always think about as nanotechnology. But I use a a Mac computer sometimes, and that uses uh, nanotechnology transistors that have been engineered at the level of uh, 65 to 90 nanometers. Um, Same thing with computers uh, for personal computers and things like that. So... Um, I found that I was actually using nanotechnology on a regular basis.
2: One of the things that the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars Project on Emerging Nanotechnologies is interested in is looking at the issue of definition. Right now, there's no agreed-to definition of what nanotechnology is. It makes it hard, therefore, to look at labeling products. And right now, most uh, manufacturers who use nanotechnology in their products don't make a point of noting that it's, it's nano, because in some cases it may be um, zinc oxide, for example, in sunscreens, which has been in sunscreens for 20 years, but not at this small scale so it's it's really hard today for a consumer to find out what is or is not nanotechnology and whether nanotechnology is in the products that they're
4: using now do you have everything on your list or are there some areas where nanotechnology is already being used but they're not on the consumer products list what didn't go on your list
3: well there are a lot of products that didn't go on the list and uh To get into the inventory, uh, a product had to meet a few criteria. First of all, it had to be a consumer product. So it had to be uh, available for purchase, as Julia said, on the Internet or in a store. So there are a lot of uh, industrial applications that we didn't put in the inventory. And there are a lot of products that are coming out of research labs that are not available to the consumer yet, that are not on the list. Also, for example, products that are being used in the pharmaceutical sector, which is a huge area of application for nanotechnology for the development of new drugs and medical devices, are not on the list because those are not uh, available to consumers without a prescription in most cases. Secondly, the products had to be identified by the company as containing mm. nanomaterials or, being, or using nanotechnology. So we generally went uh, with the company's word, and if the company said that they were using nanotechnology, we included them into the inventory.
2: Mm-hmm. The, the only exception to that is that there was a nano kayak.
3: <laughs> That's right. Julie's bringing up the third criteria, which I forgot to mention, which we, we sort of call informally the laugh test, which products that were actually uh, using the term nano, such as the nano kayak, which really didn't use nanotechnology at all. They were just using it uh, as a term uh, for denoting something that's much smaller than something that they had before.
2: One company has a line of kayaks and the nano kayak was the smallest kayak in their line.
4: So what of all of these 200 plus products were the kinds of things that you got excited or interested about? Was there anything that really caught your fancy?
3: Well, one that we actually have here is a uh, food storage device. It basically looks like a, uh, you know, plastic container, but it actually uses silver nanoparticles. Uh, Silver nanomaterials are naturally resistant to fungus and mold, so they're supposed to keep the food uh, fresher for longer. So this is one that's really interesting, and this product is similar to a number of products in the inventory in that it uses silver nanotechnology, which is uh, very popular and being used in a lot of different applications.
2: One of the products that I like on the inventory is uh, a washing machine. That uses uh, silver nanoparticles in the liner of the washing machine, again, to cut down on uh, bacteria and odors that are in the laundry that you do. Recently, however, the um, uh, trade association that represents the municipal uh, water treatment companies around the country wrote a letter to the Environmental Protection Agency and asked them to uh, classify these washing machines as a pesticide because they believe that the... uh, Silver nanoparticles that line the washing machine eventually end up in municipal uh, water
4: waste. So, we don't necessarily know what happens to some of these nanomaterials when they're in products, where they might end up in the environment.
3: That's right. That's partly why we really need to think more about the life cycle of these materials and how they're going to get out once they're disposed of, uh, once they're manufactured and to to think more responsibly about uh, their long-term use.
2: Again, there are tremendous benefits that are out there that this uh, technology promises. We think it's important because the benefits are so great that we get it right in terms of its potential environment, health, and safety impacts.
4: And we do have one of these nano sunscreens. Um, What is it that's nano about this one? As we
3: were saying before, there's a lot of different materials that are being used Um, as nanotechnology. There's silver, there's carbon, there's zinc oxide, there's titanium dioxide. So there's not just one class of materials, there's actually a a whole host of materials that are being used. In sunscreens, uh, zinc oxide and titanium dioxide are the two materials that are used most often to make uh, sunscreens clear.
2: In fact, the equivalent of the American Chemistry Society in Australia. Uh, endorses nanosunscreens or sunscreens that have nanoparticles in them because they give you a clear protection. Instead of the uh, white, pasty gunk that you so often see on the noses of, of lifeguards, the advantages are largely that people are going to be more likely to use a clear material to get that sun blocking benefit than they are a white paste.
4: Do most of these cosmetics um, undergo safety testing in advance?
2: The real answer to that question is that we don't know because cosmetics in this country um, and elsewhere are largely self-regulated. A manufacturer for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which is product liability, does not want to put an unsafe product out on the market but there's not uh, really a lot of publicly available data on just what kind of safety tests these products have gone through. You're going to have to, as a smart consumer, weigh potential uh, risks versus potential benefits. And that's really one of the reasons behind doing this inventory. We want consumers to be smart and nano-savvy and to learn something about nanotechnology and be able to weigh those risks themselves. What's in
4: the golf ball? That makes it nano.
3: Well, I'm not quite sure what's actually in the golf ball. I know that a golf ball is uh, supposed to be engineered at its core to make the core tighter so that when people hit it, it'll actually go farther. For sports equipment, nanotechnology can make things much lighter and much stronger at the same time. So you can drive the ball faster, you can hit the tennis ball farther, um, you can shoot the hockey puck harder.
2: One of the reasons that nanotechnology is being heavily applied in the automobile industry is to make cars lighter, and that's one of the best ways to achieve some fuel efficiency quickly.
4: So we, we have a Brooks Brothers tie here, and it's a, a purple color, and it says it's stain-resistant. So what is it that that's nano about it?
3: So what's nano about it is the way that the cotton was actually manufactured. There are actually little whiskers on the cotton fibers that whisk away moisture.
2: Uh, you also very
3: soon are going to
2: see uh, nanotechnology in fabrics that are used in households for covering sofas and curtains, also in um, uh, rugs, because you can imagine the fact that they would be uh, stain and dirt uh, resistant is going to be an enormous advantage to uh, people in their
3: homes. And we should also point out that this... uh is just the first wave of, of products, as Julie was saying, that there are probably going to be, over the next few years, more products coming out on the market, uh, things like better batteries, um, better clothing that really will ha- could prove to have uh, huge advances um, and benefits for the consumer. These are also probably not the only products that are out there. As Julia said, we only were able to search in English, uh, so there may be products from other countries where we were not able to find information about that. And if people have any information about them, we'd be happy to, uh, to look into that. So we'd be happy to take people's comments and questions as well.
4: We'll keep an eye on it, and thanks for talking with us, Julia and Evan. Thank you, Karen.
3: Thank you very much.
4: Since the Wilson Center first published their list, the number of products has
1: increased from 200 to over 300. You can see their latest list of consumer products on the market through our website at www.kneisnet.org podcasts. This has been Stephanie Chasteen and Karen Schmidt talking with Evan Michelson and Julia Moore of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Now, policymakers are still trying to figure out just how to regulate nanotechnology. Since we talked with Julia and Evan, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has announced that it's going to start regulating products that contain nano-sized particles of silver and treat nano-silver as a pesticide. So, manufacturers of products that claim to kill germs, like that washing machine that Julia mentioned will have to prove that the tiny silver particles don't end up in waterways and cause ecological damage. In response, some companies are reportedly removing the antibacterial claim on certain nanoproducts, like food storage containers and socks. But what do consumers see when they pick up one of these products in the store? Well, many people think that nanotechnology products should have some sort of label, like the Nutrition Facts labels on prepared foods. And that would probably be a good thing, because it's good to have information about the things that we buy. But some people think we should go a step further and put a warning or hazard label on all products containing nanomaterials. Philip Ball, a correspondent for the journal Nature, has pondered this idea. In this perspective, Philip shares his views on balancing risks and benefits.
5: Imagine you're out shopping and you pick up a product, a suntan lotion, say, or a golf club, or an MP3 player, that has a label saying, warning, nano-hazard. That sounds pretty alarming, doesn't it? But what would it mean? What is a nano, and why is it a hazard? The ETC Group, an environmental organisation based in Canada, has launched a competition to design such a warning symbol, equivalent to those used for biological or radiation hazards, The idea is that it will be used to label products containing so-called nanomaterials, which measure just a few hundred nanometers or less in at least one direction. In other words, they are incredibly small or thin or narrow. A stack of 2,000 sheets, each 10 nanometers thick, is about as thick as a sheet of writing paper. The ETC group thinks that all nanomaterials are potentially dangerous. But if that's so, we'd need to stick the nanohazard label everywhere. It would need to go on every living organism for a start. Our bones, for example, are full of nanoparticles. We will put it on computers and CD players, and just about every other electronic device that contains films of material just several nanometers thick, as most of them do, including the iPod Nano. And because vehicle exhaust fumes are a major source of sooty nanoparticles, Even the air we breathe will formally become a nano-hazard, although it's not clear how we might label it. I visited many nanotechnology laboratories across the world and seen some of the exciting and valuable uses to which its products, including nanoparticles, might be put. They could give us ultra-strong materials, for example, or new types of medicine, or more powerful computers and telecommunications. But there are dangers too. It's possible that some nanomaterials really are bad for us. There are signs that certain synthetic nanoparticles, which are nanoscale grains of matter, could be toxic. And nanofibers, whiskers just nanometers thick, could possibly act rather like asbestos fibers in causing respiratory disease. But we don't yet know that for sure. Until we do, it would certainly be wise to regulate their use. Nanoparticles can have different physical and chemical properties from larger lumps of the same material. They can change color or hardness, say, purely on account of their size. That's one key reason why they could be useful. We can adjust their properties by adjusting their size. But this also means that some substances that are harmless at the everyday scale could become toxic at the nanoscale. Studies have shown that cells exposed to certain nanoparticles are damaged or killed, perhaps because the particles trigger chemical reactions that harm biomolecules. Yet nanoparticles are already being used in commercial products that put them in contact with the body, such as sun creams. There are no obvious signs of risk in those cases, but personally, I'd prefer to know more before I apply a nanoparticle sun cream. An important report on nanotechnology by the UK's Royal Society and Royal Academy of Engineering in 2004 highlighted nanoparticle toxicity as a serious question that requires urgent research. But we can't tar all nanomaterials with the same brush. Some of them are likely to be harmless, and many won't be used in a form where they could get into our bodies or the environment, in computers, for example. So a nanohazard symbol would be like crying wolf, demonising nano in the same way as we have already demonised the words chemical and synthetic. This just muddies the debate about health and safety. After all, despite their bad image, we wouldn't dream of labelling all synthetic chemicals from shampoos to plastic bags as potentially hazardous. Nor do we stick a biohazard sign on any product that's biological, like vegetables or bunches of flowers. So labelling all nanoparticles as potential killers is neither useful nor sensible. For one thing, it implies that there is something intrinsically dangerous about the nanoscale. That's plainly wrong. And the danger posed by a substance is not just a matter of whether it's toxic, but of what dose people are likely to receive. Implying that everything nano could poison us would be pandering to the popular but false notion that the material world can be conveniently divided into goodies and baddies. If and when a particular kind of nanoparticle is found to be toxic, we already have hazard symbols to indicate that. In the meantime, if anyone really wants a nanohazard symbol, I propose that they enter the spirit of the field and write it nanometer-sized. That's about the size it deserves.
1: That was Philip Ball, a science writer who contributes to the journal Nature. You've been listening to Small Talk. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Today's show was written and produced by Stephanie Chastine and Karen Schmidt for the Exploratorium and the Nanoscale Informal Science Education Network. We are supported by the National Science Foundation. You can find us on the web at www.nisenet.org slash podcasts. That's n isenet.org slash podcasts. Or email us at smalltalk at exploratorium.edu. Please call us with your comments and questions at one 1- All music is licensed under the Creative Commons. You've heard My Name is Jeff by Four Stones and you're listening to Nervously Made by Ian Nelson. You've been listening to Small Talk. Join us next month for more conversations about nanotechnology.